You are listening to Resident Advisors Exchange, where we meet the creators shaping the electronic music landscape. I'm Martha. Thank you for being with us and welcome to our end of year critics roundtable. Myself and three wonderful guests from the RA family will be sharing our musical favourites from 2021. Um, let me introduce you to who you'll be hearing from today. We have Whitney Way, RA's editor-in-chief. Hello. Hello. Liv Kluche, US country manager. Hello. Hello. And Naishka Chandran, who is returning to the round table. Super staff writer. Hello. Happy to be back on the round table. Welcome back. Um, so before we get into everyone's selections, I think it would be great if everyone could just tell our listeners a little bit more about what your job entails. So Whitney, let's kick off with you. How would you sort of summarize your responsibilities as the editor of RA. You are over in Berlin, we should say. Yes, I am based in Berlin. And as editor-in-chief, I mostly do editorial strategy, whether that means curating the content and seeing what directions our editorial is going to go in, which is the artists that we work with, um, different topics, different scenes that we should be exploring, as well as um, maybe different disciplines that we might want to explore within electronic music that include technology or um, film, literature, uh, and then also, I guess, also exploring different demographics that we want to open electronic music culture up to. So definitely um, a very all-encompassing role and very difficult to put into a, a few sentences, but um, yeah. <laughs> that was very concise, so thank you. Um, Naishka, our listeners have heard from you before, but perhaps you could tell us what your kind of weeks have looked like this year as a staff writer at RA. Yeah, um, I started out freelancing for RA. So I started off doing a lot of investigative features. And um, now most of my week is a good mix of news, um, which includes like new releases coming out to new festivals or um, scandals in the music industry landscape. Um, as well as reviews, um, I do a lot of album reviews, single reviews, and still try to go back to my um, original kind of type of writing, which is the long form feature format. So it's a nice mix of all three right now. Um, and also trying to dabble into the podcast world, following your footsteps, Martha. Ah, yes, the listeners are going to be hearing a lot more from you, I hope. Um, Liv, would you tell me about what a country manager does at Resident Advisor, please? Yes, so I am the U.S. country manager, which is actually a new role that's focused on expanding, um, actually establishing and then expanding the U.S. contributor network of city managers. Um, just kind of improving our offerings and usability of the site for more of our North American audience, as quite a bit of the content is very U.K. and Euro focused. So starting with Los Angeles and Miami and then moving on to Detroit, Chicago, um, San Francisco, as some of the other U.S. cities that we will have some city managers in. Um, and they'll be responsible for improving the event listings for their respective cities, writing RA picks, um, tipping off editorial to the happenings in their cities, just kind of being our eyes and ears on the ground in the U.S. Amazing. Um, so today, I have asked each of you to bring along 
a favourite album of 2021, a mix, a radio set or a live stream that you have loved this year and a sort of music moment from 2021 that you'd like to reflect on. And I've said this could be a major release. It could be a political point. We could discuss a breakthrough artist or something relating to a specific collective or venue, anything that comes to your minds. Um, so that's what we're going to be doing today. And I think we should get stuck in with albums. So Naishka, which record has been extra special to you this year? This is always a really hard one to pick, but I think I actually didn't have to dwell too much because there's a record I keep going back to listen to all year and it's um, by Conclavit which is a band based in New York City, led by Cesar Terribio. It's a rotating group of musicians, and they put out their self-titled debut album on um, a local label called Love Injection, which also runs a fantastic zine on the side. This is an album that is, it's house music, but it's also Afro-Caribbean music. It's also Latin jazz. It's really a joyous experience of smooth vocals, percussion, organ, trumpet, just a cascading, um, flow of live instruments um, and the emotional element of this release is really what spoke to me you know as a listener when you go through the tracks you just kind of surrender to like the flowing funk and jazz what's also really cool about this album is that it celebrates um, the history and the lineage of the clave um, I didn't know much about this before um, listening to this album but the clave it's a percussion instrument it's also a rhythmic pattern that's really prevalent across jazz Latin music, Afro-Caribbean music, African diasporic music. And Caesar, um, who also DJs this Tribio, he's worked with you know, um, house music legends like Joe Clausel. Um, Caesar and his band approached this album from you know, a live element. So they started recording first and then they conceptualized um, everything else from there. And that kind of instinctual collaboration, it really shows um, when you're listening because tracks will start out on like a really simple refrain and they'll they'll involve into this like multi-layered composition with instruments um caesar is singing in yoruba and spanish it's really um it really feels like you're kind of thrown into their world and their world is you know latin percussion jazz house music and this is the type of record you know you can throw on at a club but you can also play at like an intimate dinner party it's something i've been hearing um around my time in New York. And yeah, it is really, it is it really is a catharsis, a surrender to Caesar's world. Amazing. That is such a juicy description of the album. I checked out a couple of songs when you let me know that this was going to be your pick of the year, um, but you've definitely made me want to spend some time with the full thing. So thank you so much for that. Whitney, which record would you like to share with us for the year? 100%. It's got to be Rumble in the Jungle by um, Kavsa Small, DJ Mafarisa, and this Congolese vocalist, uh, Tresor. I remember I 
it's just like Naisha said, it's like one of those albums that it was, it was a gut reaction. That was my number one album of the year. I rinsed that album so many times. And I think I'm not in the uh, minority of people uh, who have really been into Amapiano ever since it kind of emerged from the townships of Johannesburg and South Africa. And I know that during 2020 and 2021, there's been a massive uptick in people listening to Amapiano, listening to jungle and drum and bass. Um, I think one of our managing editors like was scraping data off of the RA website. And these three genres were the ones that really came out really strong as having this um, huge trend. And uh, I can understand why. I think that Amapiano, especially during the pandemic, it has this underlying, this undercurrent of this melancholic undercurrent, but it's characterized by these jazzy piano lines and like this loungy music with the really strong, like quieto bass line. And I think that everything that I listen to always has to have some kind of bass element, has some kind of percussive element to really grab me. Um, so yeah, you can listen to it in multiple settings, but I've started realizing that it's being introduced, especially in dance floors, like very specific dance floors in Berlin as well. And it's really nice to see the way that Amapiano has kind of taken over this entire global reach. Um, I also think that what's interesting about Amapiano is that I feel like there was a lot of emphasis on guab for a long time. And now it really feels like someone pointed it out to me that guab has had, it's, and it's still obviously having its moment. There's a really like graffiti, Vigo, um, he's come out with like a really amazing album in the in the this year and like I think an EP last year. But there's this really strong focus on Amapiano right now, especially because Cobbs is small. One of the people who produced the album, he's like the quote unquote like prince of Amapiano. He has been listed in like what was this the like the like the world music or like best African music for the European Music Awards. I think it was like. Yeah, there's just a lot more global acclaim. And whereas Guam, it didn't really make that jump to like the main, like the mainstream. But I would say Mapiano is still, even though it's like mainstream in parts of Africa and it's definitely taken over parts of Africa, um, it's still making its way as like a staple in European and perhaps even American dance floors. Mm. So what clubs would you need to go to in Berlin to hear Arma Piano at the moment? To be honest with you, I only know one and it's my favorite party. So it's like, it's a very specific party. Like you can't just go to oh, like okay. Burkhine and you're like, imagine <laughs> like you're going to be like listening to my piano. But I usually listen to a huge diversity of genres. Like last weekend, went to my favorite party. I always rate this party so much. Uh, they're called Einhundert. So it's like a hundred in German. And their last weekend was their final party of the entire year. But yes, they're always offer up because one of the the people who uh founded it he goes back and forth from ghana and Accra, ghana and berlin he's always really obviously like on the hunt on the ground for music he's actually opening uh, a radio station called aroko and he's going to be trying to champion this kind of like underground dj culture in ghana but he yeah he's very much plugged in to Amapiano and various other genres. And, and that is where you'd be able to listen to it and dance to it. So shout out to Nico. <laughs> you know, Whitney, I did a review of um, a compilation that NTS put out about Amapiano. I think it was called Amapiano Now. And yeah. 
what was really fun kind of digging into it, which is what you brought up earlier. It's like how the genre got global really quickly. It comes from such humble roots and it really just took off. Like there are DJs in New York. I hear it in New York all the time. And it's funny because it's um it's a blend of dance styles in itself. So I feel like as Lama Piano goes really global, it's also kind of bringing attention to a lot of smaller subgenres, you know, that's popping out across Nigeria and Ghana, but, you know, things we don't really know about or um, hear about. So, yeah, it's it's um, it's um nice to see it, you know, starting from the music being distributed via like WhatsApp groups. And now, yeah, now it's on RA. So it's it's quite exciting to see. Yeah. Do you think that's because of its, if it's house roots, it's just like, it's just so easy. The house is something that obviously uh, South Africa is, is very much known for. It's like their, I guess, like, how, how do you describe it? It's just their genre of music that they're always champion, whether it's like in the townships, whether it's like out of taxi cabs. Um, and I feel like house music, because it is such a global genre, it's very easy to kind of shift from mm-hmm. like the four and the floor that we know to any kind of variation um and yeah it's definitely making me want to have some kind of contributor or get some eyes on the ground or some kind of small bureau set up in south africa so we can actually get all these different subgenres that are potentially really incredible but just don't get enough eyes enough coverage on yeah that's right i mean i'm a piano it's just like it's melodic at its core so i mean it's like no surprise that people like it so much um, but yeah, I'm I'm all down. I'm down for a bureau in South Africa. Let's make Definitely. it happen. <laughs> yeah, we need that. is the record that has stood out to you the most this year? Yeah, so this was actually a little bit difficult for me because I feel like I'm trying to break this pattern, but as a DJ, I tend not to like sit down and listen to releases in full because I'm always like skipping through EPs or tracks, like trying to figure out if it would be something I would play. Um, But kind of similarly to what Naishka said, like I had somewhat of a somatic like Um, like gut feeling that I should go with this album because it's like one of the only long form releases too that I've returned to over and over again this year um, in different contexts. So that'd be Metamorphosis by Koreatown Acid, who's actually a Toronto-based producer and DJ. Uh, Shout out to Naishka, who's (laughs) been living in Toronto for the last little bit here um, before she came to visit New York. (laughs) Shout out KTA. I've caught her DJing in Toronto and it is a beautiful experience. Yeah, I really, I really want to catch her DJing live. I haven't had the privilege to do that yet, um, but I actually found out about her and then this album via her regular show on New York's The Lot Radio, um, which, you know, she's just from what I've heard, like she traverses different genres like so effortlessly and beautifully. Like I'd really love to hear her DJ one day. And her album is also 
a reflection of how she like marries and traverses different genres um, very easily. Like this Metamorphosis album goes through like rap, uh, DNB, house, and and dub. Like boom, there's even a track that's kind of like boom bap um, named Curtain Call. That's probably my favorite one on the album. Um, and she also features rappers from the UK, LA, and Seoul. As she was, I believe, born in South Korea. But I really um, enjoyed this album because it feels like one of those things that you put on. Not that I'm driving in New York <laughs> much or all, but like it feels like something you put on if you were to go for like a really long, like late night drive, or I guess in the case of living in a city where there's not as much of a driving culture, like a solo excursion um, at like 2 a.m., like coming home on the train or something. And kind of, I resonated with what Naishka said about Conclave and the album, um, how it feels like kind of diving into Caesar's world because I felt like as I listened through, every time I listen through Metamorphosis, it feels like I'm diving into KTA's world. Like it feels very much like a world building artifact. Um, it's kind of, it's, it's transportive. Like I feel like I'm inside of her mind as I go through each of the tracks, which is really interesting because each of the tracks on the album is like not longer than like three and a half minutes um, or something like that, which is, kind of contrary to what I tend to listen to like when I'm out or listening to a mix which is like more longer kind of like meditative tracks that sink you into hypnosis but like she manages to do that um like through the tracks respectively but like also through this more long form release like I feel like I'm I'm like being sunk into like the <laughs> the twists and turns of her mind um it, it kind of feels like a, a score to like one of those films that's like there's not much of like there's not much of dialogue happening in the film but it's still has like a really strong narrative that comes through it's kind of, and it's kind of like dimly lit like a like traversing the halls of like a neon like video game like that's that's what the album sounds like to me and then I feel like every time I finish listening to it like I walk away with this like feeling like affected in like a somatic sense but like I I can't quite um put words to it after I finish listening to it, which I, I find really beautiful like it's, it's but it's like very palpable at the same time um and she actually describes each of the tracks um it's listed on the Bandcamp page for the album where she talks a little bit about her uh conceptual ideas behind each track and she's like for one of them is like and 2050 AI fantasy world. One of them is like matrix energy in like a cyber soul. Um, and then one of them is like a infinite late night, I think she says, where you're like having a self spiritual like revelation or experience, like kind of a dream thing. It's very much like matrix energy, which I'm very into. Um, but I, I really love it because it just feels like one of those uh, albums. It's like an exercise in like dreaming of of other worlds which is something that I really seek from the music that I listen to these days um especially when this came out I think uh yeah in April when we were still like not yet um emerged completely from the lockdown like before the the vaccine was widespread and I was really seeking like musical experiences that felt transportive to me
Um, so yeah, shout out KTA. So good. So good. Um, yeah, I checked out uh, the record on Bandcamp and yeah, I love that. So there's so much description there and you can really like immerse yourself in the album that she's made. It's really cool. Everyone should check that out. Koreatown Acid Metamorphosis. It's also just worth noting that KTA is a classically trained pianist. So no it's way. just like a whole layer, whole other layer. Amazing. Yeah, it's actually really nice the amount of collaboration on that album as well. Like just drawing from her various, you know, people she admires and friends, I guess. It's really cool. quickly an album that I really love from this year it actually came out in February but it has just stayed with me all year and I feel like as you're gonna hear from today I either listen to really really chilled stuff or really really not chilled stuff at home Um, and this is sort of like a you know a continuation of lockdown listening where I was looking for more sort of ambient stuff and it's the mother of ambient I guess you could call her um it's the Pauline Anna Strom record Angel Tears in Sunlight that came out earlier this year on Revenge International um and yeah I guess one of the reasons why it stayed with me obviously sonically it's just beautiful and I adore it but I think the reason why I perhaps got so close to this record this year is because Pauline was going to come on the exchange um and and the interview was all booked but she sadly passed away um and so I decided to make this sort of tribute piece to her on the podcast um where I interviewed like friends and colleagues of hers and also other musicians that were just inspired by her um and I think because I was working on that for quite a long time it just made this album such an important one for me this year um and yeah I just really really love it so Pauline Anastrom Angel Tears in Sunlight on to mixes so i asked you all for your favorite radio sets live streams mixes of 2021 live you've gone with something from the disc woman family yes this was actually a very difficult uh decision for me because i'm like a mix fiend like i listen <laughs> to mixes when i'm working like when i'm exercising when i'm commuting like before i go to sleep um but this one i decided to go with uh, because it's it, it feels like very thematic of um, kind of like the end of emblematic I should say it feels emblematic of the past year and this year for me and it this is the 103rd entry in the Disc Woman series by the New York based DJ CC 
Um, and it's like, it's, it stood out to me because she includes not only, um, like tracks in the mix, but she also has like spoken word, uh, experiences in the form of voice notes that she gathered from her friends and community members. And it's centered around their experiences and expressions of black joy. Um, and the, I mean, the mix itself is like a constellation of, of different genres, like ranging from trap to um, Afrobeat to like Baltimore club to modern house to classic house to R&B to Cueto. Um, and it's like, it's really impressive how she's able to stitch together so many different genres, but like at the same time, um, kind of underline like their connective lineage, which is that they are like black art forms. Um, and it's, it's like very um, emotive, like the, the voice notes, the way that they underscore the tracks included. Like, so for example, one of my favorite moments in the mix is uh, someone talking about how they find black joy in moments of suffering and in moments of grief and talk about like the um, way that women in Ethiopian communities like wail very audibly at funerals. And this voice note is played over Mala's uh, changes and it's like slowed down a little bit. And I, I feel like when it first came on, I was like, I felt my heart like sink into the mix. It was so beautiful. Um, and she also, she, she is able to like connect uh, the, like make different like global connections through the mix. So like um, things that like, if you, if you were to think about them, it would become more obvious how like genres are connected, but she like is able to do so like in a wordless way. So she plays like Bando by Migos and then like drops into this like UK, like Afrobeat uh, remix of Look Like You, where it's like Migos is like trap, trap. And then she like mixes into like trap, trap in the Bando and it, like, like drops into this Afrobeat mix, like just effortlessly mixing like three genres together. It's like, it's so beautiful. Um, but yeah, it, it feels like, a sonic embodiment of a concept that um, one of my close friends, Nema Gaveri, uh, focuses their research on called digital diaspora, which is a tool, kind of a concept of how the internet and technology is a tool to connect um, Black people across the diaspora. And like this music is, this mix is like a sonic example of, you know, ways that um, Black joy and like, grief are like both universal but very varied experiences globally and um it it traverses like you know time as well like I felt like I was taken from the 90s like in Chicago or late 80s when house first emerged like all the way up to like trap music in 2020 and it like it became obvious to me like the ways that these were connected and like how important they've been to um, Black people globally. Um, so I, I, I kind of always turn to this mix like when I feel like I need a heart hug. So that's why I'd say this is my favorite mix of the year. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, yeah, I really want to hear it now. Uh, Whitney, which mix has stood out to you the most this year? 
Okay, so mine was a little bit of an unconventional choice. It wasn't like a straight mix, but um, to give a little bit of background, I'm always really interested, like one trend I'm very interested in right now and I want to delve into maybe next year is the fact that there's a lot of producers who have started out in like our electronic music circle, like solidly in our electronic music circles. Um, and they have moved into doing fashion soundtracking. They've done film soundtracking, but I'm really interested in that intersection. And I always have been, for example, like Bill Kuligas will soundtrack like the Simon Lee show, the Simon Lee um, fashion presentation in Shanghai. I think Kingdom did uh, soundtracking for Baragon uh, a couple years ago. And then Ozma Maruf of Fade to Mind, she does frequently, she does a lot of like Kenzo and Prada soundtracking as well. So like this is, these are like the kind of invisible things that you see in like culture all around us, but they belong solidly within our universe. And the mix that I really loved was Total Freedom's Mugler Spring Summer 2021 mix. And it, he uploaded it on his SoundCloud, which is like where I got access to it. But then I eventually went and saw the fashion presentation itself. And it's really interesting the way that he uses music because um, obviously it has to assist the elements of the video. So all these models are walking and they're being pushed and pulled in various directions, like they're displaying clothes, but then the music that he has effortlessly uh, mixes into that. And I think that another reason why I chose it is because during, I guess, like April and May, I was feeling really nostalgic about being, you, I used to party a lot in New York. That's kind of where I got my, my start in underground, like DIY music and eventually made my way to RA. But yeah, I used to go out in Brooklyn all the time. I used to like prowl around like Palisades and like Brooklyn Bazaar. And I used to go to a lot of ghetto Gothic parties I used to see Total Freedom DJ all the time. And I think that that nostalgia just really brought me back to like, um, I guess like the 2010s of like, quote unquote, like deconstructed club music that I, you know, you, you still, you know, like if you grew up and you were raised in this kind of music, you will revisit it from time to time. And it wasn't that I was visiting an old mix, but I was getting that kind of 2010s flavor but in a contemporary, very new context in a fashion context as well. And I highly recommend it. It's so good. There's like shy girls on there, earth eaters on there. Uh, there's also this, this Martinique artist. I don't remember this person's name, but it's like this, this track, like Teak or something like that. It just, it's so, it's just like insanely, it's insanely good. And I highly recommend you listen if you're into, interested in any of the various aspects that I just talked about, so. So cool. I feel like um, Total Freedom in the context of like a crazy fashion presentation makes so much sense. Like whoever made that happen, they know. It's so good. You have to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Thank you. Naishka, a mix that you've revisited a lot this year? Um, so my choice isn't strictly electronic or not really situated in the club world that we're normally um, based in. But sometime in July, um, there's a Bangkok-based DJ. Her name is Pam, Pam Anantar. And she created this really meaningful um, kind of tapestry. I want to call it a tapestry because there's so many different colors and flavors in here. Um, yeah, she created this mix for um, Blossom, which is um, a music platform 
that is kind of based between Thailand and the States, but they try to foster connections between um, people around Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore, as well as people in Latin America um, and abroad. Um, they call themselves like a research um, and development platform, which I think is cute because their main um, gig is music, but you know, they're also trying to um, create different kinds of collaborations and creative exchanges. So Pam, she um, kind of focused on deep tribal vibrations from around Asia for this mix. It was um, filmed in um, Bangkok, where she lives, at the Zudrang Ma Record Store, which is a Bangkok institution for anyone who's in the city. It's headed by Mafsai of the Paradise Bangkok Molam International Band, a record fiend. And to be in his store and to record a mix of this magnitude is ultra special. Um, so in her mix, um, it's a lot of spiritual grooves, prayers, Afrofunk, voodoo. Um, and like I mentioned, there's, there's this vibrating quality to the mix. Like it kind of sucks you in right away. There's um, this experimental jazz. There's a Japanese ceremonial track that's surprisingly like really groovy. I felt kind of bad dancing to, you know, a track that people use in like actual ceremonies, but what can you do? <laughs> I mean, the rhythm's that good. Um, one of my favorite um, tracks Pam has on here is um, it's a disco edit by Daily Sessions. And I got to know a lot about um, this platform through Pam. Daily Sessions is an alias of a Japanese DJ called Toshi who used to live in New York. And Whitney, maybe you've heard of his parties. He used to run this parties out of his house called Cedar Room. And this is, you know, it would be everything from house to techno, but it was run out of his house. So it was, you know, he would invite people in. I believe it was mostly records. And, you know, anyone who plays records like Pam does, it's a really special community. I mean, there isn't a whole lot of mixing involved. It's really letting a track play out in its glory. Um, sometimes there's some awkward moments, you know, sometimes it's not really like ultra polished, but for me, that's, that's kind of the charm. Um, the whole mix, yeah, it kind of just brings you into a state of calm. Pam, Pam's care into selecting each record, it really shows here. She's very much rooted in soul and funk and house music, but she explores it through different cultures on this mix, which I really like. So there's, um, there's tracks from Japan, there's um, like, uh, a track from an album called Topical Drums of Deutschland. Um, there's Randy Western. Um, so there's all kinds of um, all kinds of jazz and soul in here. And but it just it feels it feels quite otherworldly. Um, and I think that would be that would be the key reason why I'm drawn to it. It's also a really cute video mix. It's on YouTube. So highly recommend it so cute she just looks like she's so in tune with what she's doing and the setup is so cool i haven't even seen something like that but it makes sense what you're saying that it was recorded in the record shop because it's a really cool setup um thank you so much for bringing that one to my attention that one is really really good so thank you for sharing um one mix that i really really enjoyed this year is aisha's mix in the separation anxiety series for sable radio this is just big rowdy energy i absolutely love aisha's style um and i'm just so excited for sable radio as a platform in general yeah they're based in leeds which is in the uk for those that don't know um and i feel like they're just one of the stations in the uk that is just pushing community radio forward across the country like obviously the uk has had a huge 
and just intrinsic relationship to like underground radio for so long it's such an important part of music culture here in the UK and it's just amazing to see all these different cities popping up across the UK with new ideas and exciting talent like people that I just had not heard of before um and yeah I'm just a massive fan of Aisha and this mix it's just if you just need to wake up you need to listen to this mix because it's just amazing so yeah that's one that I've been really enjoying this year let's move on to a kind of music moment if you've just joined us you are listening to the critics roundtable on ra exchange it's the end of year edition and we are now going to reflect on a few significant moments in electronic music that have unfolded over 2021 so it could be a major release a political point a breakthrough artist something related to a specific venue or collective or anything at all that has come to each of your minds um i will kick us off with a sort of uk based moment um and i have gone through a breakthrough artist and i would just like to mention the meteoric rise of Pink Pantheris and the sort of wave that she represents. So she is 20 years old. She's from Bath, which is in the UK. And she sort of emerged as a bit of a TikTok sensation, but she has the bangers to back it up. And yeah, she is just made going viral into a, a full proper career. So excited for her. And yeah, she's just having a, such a moment. It's also just nice to see sort of mainstream culture, like, you know, the big commercial radio stations supporting her at the same time as the underground. It's like happening so quickly for her, which is amazing. But I also sort of thought that she is one of the people who marks this new wave of like perhaps younger women who are producing sort of their take on jungle in sort of 2020, 2021. People like Nia Archives also on that wave, even Lava LaRue to an extent. And I'm just so excited. I'm excited to hear more. I feel like next year is going to be amazing. Um, also randomly with the Pink Panther stuff, I'm aware of like a a pop song being out and enjoyed in its sort of original form, but also being sampled on like a rap track, which is also really popular at the same time um, with the Central C take. And they were, those two were sort of both out at the same time. I was hearing her everywhere in all these different contexts and just absolutely loving it. So big nod to Pink Panthers. Does anyone else enjoy her? Absolutely love Pink Panthers. <laughs> A lot of love for her. Huge, huge, huge fan. I mean, and you know what's cool about her is that like usually someone who like starts out on TikTok, they are in there for like maybe a one hit sensation. I think absolutely. she's here to stay. I mean, like you said, She's got she's got the beats to back it up. She's super skilled. Yeah. Oh, I did just want to say when you said Naya Archives, I recently stumbled upon Forbidden Feelings. And it's just so good. <laughs> it's so, so good. good. It's just ridiculously good. And once I it's it was one of those things like, what is it like confirmation bias? Like, I don't know what that phenomenon is, but once you listen to it one place, all of a sudden it just follows you everywhere. And then you like hear it on various mixes and everything. Yeah. But um yeah I just wanted to point that one out I agree I literally play that every single week wherever I am radio DJing whatever I'm just like I'll fit it in somewhere don't don't worry about that um <laughs> Liv um what moment from music this year did you want to chat about uh, I wanted to touch on the return of festivals post-vaccine um and specifically Poncho Camp Out, which is a 
queer festival that takes place in rural Pennsylvania um, at a place called Four Quarters Interfaith Sanctuary. It's like a massive, like gorgeous bit of land. It's probably, I mean, I haven't been to too many dance music festivals um, or festivals in general, but it's like one of the largest <laughs> and like more rural festivals that I've ever been to. Um, but I really appreciated Honcho in specific because I noticed that this year they had an increased focus on hosting North American artists um, at this edition, which is something that is very near and dear to my heart is elevating North American DJs and producers, specifically queer ones, specifically queer um, artists of color in the US. Um, and I felt like them doing that, this was my first time uh, at Honcho, but I felt like the overwhelming North American majority really fostered a supportive uh, environment that was very palpable. Like I felt, I mean, I'm someone who feels a fair bit of social anxiety at like dance music related events for a variety of reasons. But this was one of the first experiences I had where I felt like I could walk out of my cabin by myself um, without a plan to meet up with anyone and like feel completely okay and confident that I was going to run into someone who would uh, be down to like have a genuine conversation or like dancing experience with me and like like being able to like feel alone but in community and it was it was just so unpretentious and non-clicky um and I was fortunate enough to to also play this edition and from like a DJ perspective I felt like the crowd having that quality of being unpretentious like had me feeling free to play like literally whatever I wanted so I like I feel like I always want to play like corny UKG edits out but I'm like I feel like I'm going to be judged by people who are really into serious techno and like bass music but I was like I'm gonna play like the like a UKG edit of the thong song and like be confident that it's gonna be like well received and it was so beautiful like there was like several instances during people's sets where they were like voguing circles. And uh, it was just, you know, one of um, the most beautiful experiences where I've seen like witness people being unabashedly themselves. And then by extension, watching people like slow, other people slowly uh, blossom into like more free expressions of themselves just because of like witnessing and experiencing the other people in attendance just like down like to be themselves uh in their entirety um and I there was also kind of like a secular spirituality element um to the festival which I thought was very unique to Honcho so there were all over um, the campground site, there were a bunch of little altars that people had kind of like guerrilla constructed. Um, and I felt like it was a really beautiful way that people were paying homage to their queer ancestors who were kind of, who have like paved the way for like this kind of communion in the middle of the woods. Like when you think about it, like 1200 like queer people in the woods listening to dance music, like is so, beautiful and like historically unprecedented. And I thought that the altars 
and some of the artwork and installations. Uh, there was one at the Hemlock Hole stage in particular, I forget the artist's name, um, were very like beautiful and like it felt like such a, a gorgeous way to um, remind people like of that presence while still like enjoying dance music like in its present context. Um, and I also really was impressed and happy with the level of like structural care around COVID and harm reduction, both leading up to and during the event, which um, is something that's really important to me, like when I go out to club spaces. So like Honcho, for example, has an online forum that was sharing harm reduction strategies uh, before the event took place. And like upon arrival, we all received paper pamphlets with like where to, like ways to take care of yourselves and your community members and friends like uh if they're choosing to partake in mind-altering substances and like where to find a medic um if you feel like you or someone else needs that and like uh testing strips for fentanyl etc there was covid testing rapid tests on site and masks like if anybody forgot them like or needed them like i it was it was so um reassuring to me to experience that and I mean all like all of that aside like the music was also incredible like one of my favorite sets that I experienced there was D Diggs at she closed down the hemlock hole stage and she really like in her set like channeled the black vocalists uh black female vocalists and like divas of house music who I think are a demographic that are really undecided and underappreciated in dance music like half the time like they don't even have credit on these house tracks like that they really pull and uh it was just I have never seen like anybody uh, a crowd of people go that hard for like a Mariah House remix in my life and it was so beautiful to experience it in communion um like I feel like I traverse like the full spectrum of human emotions throughout the sets at Honcho like Carlos Dufront played this gorgeous like three or four hour long ambient set um, that took us from like the, I think he's probably started around like 4 a.m. He took us into the morning and like was playing Cocteau Twins and broadcast. And like, I swear that there was like at least 10 or 15 people like fully crying or like having their own solo like spiritual moments like during the set. Like it was just so beautiful to witness um, and experience myself like the the peaks of joy and also like the beautiful like depths of sorrow as like guided by like these really intentional um sets and like to do so in a shared context so yes love poncho camp out so much like magic and like ancestral channeling can't wait to hopefully go back next year Liv, i really like the bit where you were saying that there was miniature altars like these quote-unquote like gorilla altars that were around the space because i feel like in festivals and in clubs we're always talking about the concept of like a safer space but then i like it how it was elevated to the concept of a sacred space mm -hmm. um but did your expectations this is something that maybe is like a question i want to pose to everyone but is did your expectations of what your first festival or your first party experience um would be like did it match up to, did your, the reality match up to your expectations? Um, like, yes and no. Like, I feel like it was different than and also exceeded my expectations. Like, I don't think that I expected for it to be like such 
a like communal and welcoming space where I would literally walk away with people that like I had just met there, but like now cherish and like hold very like deeply to my heart. Like I experienced, I thought that it was going to be more of just like get in, like dance to like house and like techno for like four days straight and then be like, wow, that was great. And like leave sweaty and exhausted. But like, I didn't expect to walk away, like on the verge of tears. Like it literally, I I see why it's named Honcho Camp Out because it feels like the feeling of saying goodbye to your friends, like growing up at a summer camp. Um, So I would, yeah, I would say in that capacity, like it exceeded my expectations and like was just such a different experience um, than I thought it was going to be or like, versus festivals, like non-dance music festivals that I've been to in the past, like FYF in LA, which had a very great programming, but corporate tinge to it. Um, But that's also just like something I think that happens by nature of having a smaller scale festival, Um, even though Hacho's pretty large in terms of North American, like techno festivals go, I think it's around 12 or 1300 people. Liv, you need to send us the UKG edit of the thong song. I'm sorry. That's like, <laughs> I cannot end this podcast without you sending me that track. It's, it's, uh, I think it's an artful Dodger remix of the thong song. Uh, I will absolutely make that available to anyone who wants though. <laughs> well, it's so nice hearing you speak about the camp out. It sounds like such a special moment for the year. And yeah, crazy to think that we've been like returning to events this year. Um, Such a key moment for 2021 and such a big thing to reflect on. Whitney, what was the sort of moment of the year that you wanted to share with us? So I'm going down more of a controversial bend, uh, but this was a story that I was closely, I guess, supervising from the news team at RA, but it was the Revere Sudost, uh, this, the controversy around Revere Sudost and the mistreatment of someone who came out on social media, particularly Instagram story, someone named Nicholas Rose. And this, this person was talking about the aggressive behavior, intimidation, and difficulties that they faced on the dance floor when You know, it was like four in the morning. There was these bouncers that were trying to control masks, but it seemed like they were targeting him, uh, a person of color um, and a queer person over all these, uh, the rest of the white crowd. And, you know, we looked into it more. And I think that it, the conversation around clubbing and what it means to be in like a, a safer clubbing space really came to the fore because when we think about, um, what we're hoping to promote in these spaces and especially like post lockdown, a lot of people are feeling quite fragile. Um, what, what I really thought about was the way the community completely reacted and, and was really demanding all these different changes to policy and making sure that the bouncers would potentially look at different strategies to relate to people, um, to really assess their staffing. Um, and it was a moment when the community in Berlin, especially were keeping clubs accountable and they often do that, but it wasn't, I feel like it's often like a question of when you introduce this concept of like cancel culture, there's a lot of people in the comments and a lot of people on social media who were trying to, um, make everyone not go to this club anymore or talking about how, um, 
they should shut their doors down. And there was a moment when they did pause and pause their programming for a couple of weekends. And they worked very closely with the Berlin Club Commission to reassess their club policies. And it was, it was a, I was actually really surprised because I feel like in 2020, obviously 2020, like clubs were closed, but maybe in 2019 where clubs were open, I think the dialogue would have been very different. I think like the whole idea of like cancel culture that's been going on, especially within the music scene, it was very prevalent. And I think that now in 2021, I think that one thing that kind of gave me hope was the fact that there was a chance for rehabilitation. Like there was a chance to work with this like non-governmental organization, which is known as the Berlin Club Culture to figure out ways to, I guess, figure out ways to improve a situation and, and potentially make clubbing safer for the long term without potentially like shutting one's doors, but definitely like a reflection moment for the community because it made people think about, well, you know, this club is being targeted, but at the same time, like what's to say about the rest of the club scene in Berlin? Like there've been these instances all the time. Are we making an example out of this specific club? Uh, because obviously Bergheim has had very similar intimidation and, and like certain, um, I guess, like racist accusations as well. And so this, this really opened up the conversation for me and made me think about like our clubs around the world, are we really, now that we're back in a space where we're partying, I mean, Berlin is going into lockdown, it seems relatively soon, but now that we're like back, how are we actually improving these practices? And we're not just like throwing our caution to the wind, but realizing that, yeah, like these are the things that we have to protect and, and how we keep different members of the community and different venues accountable for what they do. I don't know if anything similar has happened in like New York or something like that or London. The, you know, that whole story, when I was um, just kind of observing it from afar, um, apart from what actually went down with the club, the fact that, you know, the Berlin Club Commission is there and the fact that it's such a um, big and decisive player in the club landscape there, that's just really impressive to see, you know, how seriously this has been taken. I can't, I can't speak for New York, but I definitely know Toronto does not have anything similar, neither does Singapore or Tokyo. And, you know, it's just, yeah, it's amazing to see how um, seriously nightlife is taken and how, how much respect it's given. But yeah, that's just, that was just one of my first impressions um, mm -hmm. seeing this whole thing play out. Yeah, I think that the thing about the Club Commission is that there's a number of individuals from around the world who have actually come to Berlin to study what they're doing and how they're improving these nightlife spaces, which I think is great that we have an example of how it can be of if all these venues are actually taken as cultural institutions and are respected for the craft and the skills that they display within their, their four walls. And there's now, I think, I think the most recent example that I read on RA, actually we reported on it, um, was the fact that the, in France, they're going to have, their own version of, of the club commissions, like club hyphen culture. And it's a band of like 38 clubs that are trying to do the same things as the club commission, advocate for clubs to the government. And I think you're going to see this more and more. I also think that there was, there's this, there's this over the past, I don't know, like five or six years, there's been a huge wave of people who are being appointed as 
nightmares of like London or different cities or Amsterdam. So there's that kind of element of policy. But then there's also now like non-governmental organizations that will advocate for clubs to the cultural Senate. And then you see that being spread. And I think that maybe in five more years or 10 years, this will just be readily accepted. And this is what I've been hoping for ever since I started my career. Like I remember always thinking like, why aren't these, these places being protected or given the respect that they actually deserve for all the young artists and all the careers that they launch. And now it seems like more and more, it's finally able to happen. Mm, yeah, hopefully we're going to see that repeated throughout other cities. Um, Naishka, would you like to round off today's episode by sharing with us a big music moment for you for 2021? Yeah, I think I probably spend the most time thinking about this question um, just because there's so many moments I wanted to choose and then I just had to go with the heart and um, I'm going to go with the Daytimers crew you know they're based in London they hopefully need no introduction for anyone listening it's been such a thrill watching you know watching this crew kind of celebrate South Asian music from afar Um, I'm so used personally to being the only Indian person at underground parties which I find crazy because there's like billions of us (laughs) but um, so seeing you know seeing them kind of congregate and do it so riotously. It's um, seeing everyone with the, you know, with the same taste in one place, it's really special. Um, they've had so many milestones over the past year. Um, they did a crazy boiler room takeover. They had the dialed in festival. Um, their party at Fabric this October looked really memorable. I wasn't there, I just saw videos um, online. But there was a moment um, at that Fabric takeover when Young Singh um, who's known for his like blazing Punjabi garage tracks. He kind of spontaneously invited um, an MC known Raf Sapera to sing the lyrics over this classic Punjabi MC track called GT Road, which itself, it samples a very iconic vocalist called Kuldeep Manak. And in some of the photos and videos you see Young Singh, he, um, and this is what how Young Singh explained it um, on his social media as well. You see Young Singh kind of put the headphones on Raf um, at Fabric to give him an idea of what track he's about to sing on. Um, it looks super professional. It looks like it's all part of the gig. All of this is very spontaneous, right? So the fact that, you know, this is such a, for someone to play at Fabric is already such a milestone event. And for, for someone like Young Sing to have fun with it and kind of like get his boy up in there in the booth with him and just like kind of wild it out. It just, yeah, it's the fact that it's so spontaneous is quite mad. And it kind of just showed, Abraf obviously killed it um, and it, you know, it shows just how like how versatile Punjabi music is. Complements everything from house, UKG to breaks to hip hop. Um, someone like Punjabi MC, you know, like I grew up hearing his tracks in the club, and to see to see it kind of being evolved and put away, and not just you know Punjabi banga music. It's no longer for like cheesy R and B um, music. It can evolve. It can you know complement jazz as well. Um, Young Singh has actually co-produced an entire documentary on the origins of Punjabi Garage, which has become his specialty. Um, I believe it, this is the first documentary of its kind. Um, it's supposed to explore like race and identity through the lens of like the scene, the music, its players. I feel like me personally, like I know there's a lot of footage and reports and videos about Bhangra and, you know, um, Indian folk music. But I didn't know much about, you know, the South Asian um, diaspora's involvement in early 2000s garage. So that's something, you know, I'm still finding out about. And I know 
tons of other people probably don't know about it as well. So this documentary is going to be really helpful for that. Um, one of our um, one of the RA freelancers actually interviewed Young Sing for a Breaking Through feature that came out recently. And that um, Young Sing has a quote in there that I feel like really sums up just the importance of the Daytimers Fabric Party, as well as the Boiler Room and the Dialed In Festival. He says, um, and I'm just going to read it out. Um, he says, we need space for brown people to be themselves away from the mainstream tropes imposed on the South Asian community. I think that's that's a really, um, that really hit home for me because I think a lot of Indian, Pakistani, Bangladeshi music, it's supposed to sound a certain way. Like people expect it to have like certain cultural motifs and certain sounds, but like, I think people like Daytimers, there's a record label in Bombay called Crumb Culture. They're really changing that perception. And yeah, it's just really nice to see. Absolutely. And yeah, I can definitely say that here in London, the Daytimers crew are just getting so much respect and so much love. So it's just amazing to see. Um, thank you for that. Uh, well, Naishka, Liv and Whitney, thank you so much for sharing the music and the moments that have stood out to you in 2021. It's been so nice listening to all of you speak about the amazing moments that have gone down this year. Um, we'll put some links on the RA site and in the description of this podcast if you want to dive further into anything that has been mentioned today. Um, we have tons more amazing end of year coverage coming out across the site all this month. I'll be back next week with another episode of RA's Exchange. Until then, take care. Thank you, Martha. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for asking us. It was super fun. Thank you, Martha. Woo!